Hello there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the Week 16 edition of the Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Dobrovolsky, and I know it's holiday season, time to get cheery. Final two weeks of the NFL regular season, and a lot of exciting things going on, especially in the NFC wildcard race and some of the divisional races, especially the NFC East. So we have plenty of things to talk about, but... We also will look back to week 15, what happened in what could be one of the most disappointing weeks of all time, and we'll talk about that oh so shortly from now, and also a look ahead to some of the exciting matchups for week 16. We have, of course, a six-pack of headlines, news and notes, and statements, as well as a six-pack of regression, a six-pack of the top teams, and finally, a six-pack of the top matchups for week 16. Let's get things started with our six-pack of headlines. And the first of our six-pack of headlines and statements involves Tony Romo being right now the most clutch quarterback in the NFL this season in the second half of the season. That's right. Tony Romo being clutch? Well, let's just look at what he's done with the Dallas Cowboys, who've been 5-1 Five and one in the second half of the season. Tony Romo during that span completing 168 passes and 250 attempts for 1,875 yards, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, an offensive pass rating over 100. And in fact, if you look at his December passer rating going up against the Eagles, Bengals, and Steelers, his offensive passer rating is above 107. Six touchdowns, just one interception, 912 yards and 112 attempts. He's doing a fantastic job. And oh, by the way, three fourth quarter comebacks and three December victories. And in fact, during the second half of the season, Tony Romo with four fourth quarter comebacks and four game-winning drives. The only non-comeback was due to a punt return touchdown against the Philadelphia Eagles way back in Game 9 of the season to start off the second half season. Dwayne Harris having that punt return for a touchdown. Tony Romo's not obviously going to get a game-winning drive for that. But you just look at what he's done so far this season. He's having to do this with the Cowboys playing from behind most of the game. Of his 568 passing attempts this season, 373 of those passes have come from behind. The Dallas Cowboys this season outscored by 11 points. They have yet to lead this season by more than two possessions. Their biggest victory this year was 38-23. That's the biggest margin of victory, biggest lead they've had all season was those 15 points. So you have to think about that. Tony Romo's having to play at his absolute best this season. And although he struggled in his first seven games, he's done a great job as of late and will break down more or less the regression Tony Romo's had over the last seven weeks because he was having an uncharacteristic first seven weeks. We'll talk about that later in the six-pack of regression. But bottom line, Tony Romo this season with a 101.44 offensive passer rating in the fourth quarter. Overall, if you to look at his second half and overtime pass rating, it's at 104.73. Given also what he's done in the second half of the season, especially in December, right now... Tony Romo is the most clutch quarterback in the NFL. And yes, we somehow survived the apocalypse, but that in itself seems apocalyptic because 
Since when is Tony Romo the most clutch quarterback in the NFL? Well, since now. Now as we move to the second part here of our six-pack of headlines and statements, we look at Tony Romo, and obviously now there's this, this clutch title you want to give him, the Dallas Cowboys defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers 27-24 in overtime. That was the only really good game that you can look at in what was supposed to be a showdown Sunday. Well, pretty much the statements made in these showdowns leads me to say this in the second part of our six-pack. Week 15 of the 2012 season was the most disappointing week in NFL history. That's right, the most disappointing week in NFL history. Think about it. This was the latest in NFL history where there were at least six games between two winning teams. Week 15, he had six games between two winning teams. And there was a seventh between two teams 500 or better because you look at the 6-6-1 six, six, Rams going up against the 7-1 and one Vikings. So you had seven very intriguing games there. Big games having impact on the playoff picture. They should have at least been quality games. Well, think about the final margin of these seven games. 34, 17, 8, 12, 3, 7, and 14. That's right. The average margin of those seven games was 13.6 points. There really weren't many showdowns outside of the Dallas-Pittsburgh game. And think about it, how ugly some of these games were. You have a 24-3 margin in favor of the Denver Broncos ahead of the Baltimore Ravens. That game ended up being decided by 17 points. You had also, looking at some of the close games, a 31-3 margin actually was in that Denver-Baltimore game. So I'm getting confused here between the two games. But then also a 21-7 lead for the Packers ahead of the Bears. So 28 goes down to 17. You have 14 go down to 8. Those two games were closer than really the, the dictation of the game. So you could have had arguably... An average margin around 15 for those seven games. Not a good sign. Also, you look at some of the other games between the losing teams and the non-winning teams, and you had some ugly games. 24-3, Miami over Jacksonville. 41-0, New Orleans over Tampa Bay. 38-10 between the Cardinals and Lions, with the Cardinals somehow winning. You had a 31-7 game between the Panthers and and Chargers, a 15-0 game between the Raiders and Chiefs where the Chiefs did not have a first down in the first half. And, of course, the epic failure of Monday Night Football. Okay, a 14-10 game, Titans over the Jets, but the way the Jets failed that game at the end, whew, that might have been perhaps the, the best way to close out this disappointing week. The Jets have a chance in Titans territory to win the game late, and the first play of the drive, they literally fumble and kick it away. So it was the most disappointing week in NFL history. I hate to say it. I was so excited for this week. And in the end, it probably ranks somewhere in the lower rungs of the NFL ladder this year in terms of most exciting weeks, in terms of game finishes. There was pretty much Dallas against Pittsburgh, and that was it. And the most disappointing week 
of the NFL season in the most disappointing week in NFL history. Let's move on to number three of our six-pack of statements and headlines, and let's talk about parity. That's right, something that we hear on Cold Hard Football Facts like to remind people that there isn't parity. And later on in the year, probably in a week or two or sometime in the playoffs, I'm going to give a little breakdown of exactly why parity isn't as a parent as some may think it is in the regular season and it all has to do with high scoring it's it's a lot of game theory when you think about it in higher scoring games more or less it gives the favor a better chance to win we'll break that down a bit later on but i will say this there is parity in the nfl this season and it's at a very very strong level in the nfc i want you to think about this for a second Of the 16 teams in the NFC, all 16 teams have had a stretch of 3-1 or better. 13 of the 16 teams have had a losing streak, including 12 of them having a stretch of 1-3 or worse. I'll break it down team by team. First things first in the NFC East, your division-leading Washington Redskins, Went 2-6 between Week 2 and Week 9. They've won five games in a row since then. The Dallas Cowboys went 1-4 between Weeks 4 and 9. Now 5-1 in their last six games. The Giants went 1-3 from Weeks 9 to 13. This after going 6-1 between Weeks 2 and 8. And the Eagles, after their 3-1 start, they're 1-9 in their last 10 games. Look at all that. Back-to-back except for Washington. Well, actually, that actually includes Washington. I stand corrected. So all four of those teams back-to-back, cold stretches and hot stretches. On to the AFC North, or the NFC North we go. The Green Bay Packers, 8-1 and one since their 2-3 and three start. The Chicago Bears started 7-1, and 1-5 one, one and five since then. The Minnesota Vikings started 4-1 and one right after that between weeks 6 and 13, 2-5. Detroit, Went 3-1 between weeks 6 and 9. They've lost now their last 6 since then. To the NFC South, Atlanta starting 8-0. One of three teams without a losing streak. Tampa Bay won 4 in a row between weeks 8 and 11. They've lost 4 since then and on a 4-game losing streak. New Orleans, 0-4 start. Then, from weeks 5 to 11, they went 5-1. And, and Carolina, after a 2-8 start, they've gone 3-1 and one since then. Finally, to the NFC West, the San Francisco 49ers have yet to have a losing streak. And in fact, they've had on five different occasions a two-game winning streak. They're on a two-game winning streak. If anything tells you about that, well, it looks like Seattle will get a tire victory Sunday night. As for Seattle... They lost a pair of games in a row, Week 7 and Week 8, but have not had a 1-3 stretch. 5-1 and one in their last six games since that two-game losing streak. And the St. Louis Rams, between Weeks 2 and 5, and then in their last four games, they've had stretches of going 3-1. and one. In between that, they had a 0-4-1 stretch between Weeks 6 and Week 11. And then finally, the Arizona Cardinals, a 4-0 start. Then they would proceed to lose nine games in a row before finally winning this past Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Bottom line, 
as much as parity doesn't exist the way the mainstream media likes to make it out to be in this high-scoring NFL, parity reigns supreme in the NFC this season. On to number four of our six-pack of headlines and statements, and this involves Russell Wilson having the best rookie season by a quarterback ever in big game situations. Now, last week I discussed if RG3 was having the greatest rookie quarterback season of all time, and I said there's one quarterback ahead of him, and that's Greg Cook in the AFL in 1969. Well, Russell Wilson is in the same position as RG3. There's just one guy better than him in big game situations. That quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, in 2004. I went back and looked at the history. Going all the way back to 1946, in the beginning of the scouting era in the NFL, and I went to look back to rookie quarterbacks who had at least four victories against quality opponents. And there's only four guys that come to mind. Now, really, there could be a fifth. Otto Graham in 1946, in the first season of the AAFC, his Browns went 4-2 and two against quality opponents. The other four guys, though, before RG3 and Russell Wilson were Ben Roethlisberger in 2004, going 5-0 against quality opponents. Victories against the two Super Bowl teams in the regular season, the Patriots and Eagles, who went a combined 27-5. He also had a victory against the playoff-bound New York Jets, who were 10-6 and and would later fall again to the Steelers in the playoffs. And then victories against two 9-7 non-playoff teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Baltimore Ravens. The other three quarterbacks, you have to go back to 1979 for Steve Fuller, when the Kansas City Chiefs, in fact, played just a bevy of quality opponents. He went 4-6 and six against quality opponents. Then in 2008, Matt Ryan going 4-3 and three against quality opponents, including victories against playoff teams like the 12-4 and four Carolina Panthers and the 10-6 and six Minnesota Vikings. And then finally, Mark Sanchez in 2009, also 4-3 and three against quality opponents, including victories, albeit against a Colts team that gave up at the end, deciding to lose and break their 14-0 start. Sanchez did beat the 14-2 Indianapolis Colts in the regular season, as well as a pair of 10-6 playoff teams, the New England Patriots and the Cincinnati Bengals. So RG3 and Russell Wilson now becoming the 5th and 6th quarterbacks, respectively, to do it this season, if the records hold the way they should. RG3, at this point, 4-3 against quality teams, but... Three of the four teams he's defeated are 8-6. and six. The Minnesota Vikings, who play the Texans and Packers, so that might not be a quality opponent by the end of the season. The Dallas Cowboys, who play a tough Saints team and tough Redskins team, might not be a quality opponent at the end of the season. And the 8-6 and six New York Giants, well, they host the Eagles in Week 17. I think they'll be a quality opponent. But now let's get to Russell Wilson. 5-1 and one this season against quality opponents, and we've broken this down here at Cold Heart Football Facts over the past few weeks with the Seahawks and their Super Bowl credentials and everything, having a 5-1 and one mark against quality opponents. He has victories against three 8-6 teams. We already mentioned the Minnesota Vikings and Dallas Cowboys. Russell Wilson did also defeat them. 
The 8-6 and six Chicago Bears, they play Arizona in Arizona this Sunday and then host the Detroit Lions. I, I got to think that they have to win at least one of those two games. They'll be a quality opponent. Then there's two 10-win teams, the Green Bay Packers and the New England Patriots. They both won their division, so they're both going to be playoff teams. Look at this matchup on Sunday Night Football. It's a possibility if somehow... Minnesota can upset either the Texans or the Packers. And the Cowboys can find a way to beat either the Saints or the Redskins. There's a possibility if Russell Wilson gets that victory Sunday night against the San Francisco 49ers. He'll become the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to defeat six quality opponents. That, my friends, would make him the best big game rookie quarterback in NFL history. I do, for one closing argument, want to mention the offensive passer ratings of the six quarterbacks we mentioned. 1979's Steve Fuller, in those 10 games against quality opponents, an offensive passer rating of 49.31. Mark Sanchez, in his seven games against quality opponents, 4-3 in 2009, an offensive passer rating of 55.75. Matt Ryan, 4-3 and three against quality opponents as a rookie in 2008. A collective offensive passer rating of 71.40. Now you look at the big three. RG3 this year in the seven games, 4-3 and three so far. Offensive passer rating of 104.71. Russell Wilson just a bit behind that in his six games, 104.11. Ben Roethlisberger in those five games, an offensive pass rating of 110.55. Now, I save Russell Wilson and Big Ben for the last two because I want you to look at these interesting breakdowns for a second. Russell Wilson going up against San Francisco the first time, Dallas, Green Bay, New England, Minnesota, Chicago, in 152 passing attempts. 11 touchdowns against one interception. A touchdown to interception ratio of 11 to 1 against quality opponents is phenomenal. Outstanding. As for Big Ben, I know it's it's hard to overlook that 110.55 offensive pass rating, but in those 5 games he did only have 97 passing attempts. So, I think that Russell Wilson will definitely secure his place as the best big-game rookie quarterback if the Seahawks defeat the San Francisco 49ers, regardless of how he plays. He might have a bad game. Remember, his lone interception came in San Francisco back in Week 7 against quality opponents. But I think a win regardless, given that he's had more of the passing onus on him, I think that secures it for him. So I'm looking out Sunday night to see if Russell Wilson becomes the greatest rookie QB against quality opponents in NFL history. On to number five of our six-pack of headlines and stories and statements. And, well, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, to question the value of Matthew Stafford. Let's go a little bit back in time here, back to 2009. Now, a, a young tab athletics guy like me, Adam Dobrovolsky, wasn't a big fan 
of Matthew Stafford. In fact, if you were to compare the collegiate statistics of Matthew Stafford and NFL nobody David Green, David Green had better statistics than Matthew Stafford at the University of Georgia. Both of the guys played under Mark Richt as head coach, and both guys played in similar offenses. However, Matthew Stafford had worse statistics. Now, obviously, Stafford became the top pick in 2009 because of his big arm and what people perceived to be as great leadership abilities. I wasn't a big fan of Stafford. I, in fact, thought he would end up becoming a bust. Well, it looked like last year I was going to swallow my words. This year, it looks like those words are coming right back into my mouth because Stafford's season is not good. Regression is taking a huge hit on Matthew Stafford. In fact, before the season, I thought Matthew Stafford was a prime candidate for, indeed, that's right, statistical regression because he had 41 touchdowns last season and 5,038 passing yards. And I said, there's no way that can happen again. He's going to have his touchdowns and his yards, and more likely yards per attempt as well, go down meaning his pass rating would go down. And how about that? He goes from last year, 421 completions and 663 attempts, 5,038 yards, 41 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, a passer rating of 97.22, and this year go down to 374 completions and 629 attempts for 4,257 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 15 interceptions, a passer rating of 78.87. His completion percentage went down from 63.5% to 59.5%. His yards per attempt down from 7.60 yards per attempt to 6.76. It's not going to get better for Matthew Stafford because in the final two games, he faces the number seven and number two teams and defensive passer rating, respectively. And let's see, Saturday night playing the Atlanta Falcons, who are trying to get the top seed in the NFC. And then week 17, we playing a Bears team that most likely will be playing to get into the playoffs or at least have a chance to make it into the playoffs. I don't think that bodes well for Mr. Stafford. How about his career, though? His career passer rating, 82.61. His career completion percentage, 59.66, and 6.85 passing yards per attempt. In the four seasons since Matthew Stafford was drafted, the NFL average pass rating, 82.40. The NFL average yards per attempt, 6.64. And the NFL average completion percentage, 60.71. So Matthew Stafford has an offensive pass rating better than the league average of 0.21. Bottom line, he's been a league average quarterback in his four seasons. Had a bad rookie season statistically and by really all metrics. Second season, nondescript because he was injured. Last year had a great season and then this year average. So bottom line, through four seasons, Matthew Stafford is average. It's time to question his value. Let's quickly compare the other two quarterbacks from the first round in 2009. Mark Sanchez, his passer rating 72.01 yards per attempt, 6.49. His completion percentage, 55.19. There's a reason why Mark Sanchez is benched now for the Jets 
and probably won't be a jet in 2013 and should be considered a bust, especially given that Super Bowl quality defense they had in 2009. For those of you who have followed Cold Art Football facts over the years and their postseason predictions, they got it right in 2009. Jets over San Diego, citing their defensive pass ring, which was maybe arguably the best pass defense since the 2002 Bucks, and because they had a rookie quarterback, they didn't win the Super Bowl. They could have won the Super Bowl even if they had a competent, slightly above average David Garrard-esque quarterback, or you know, even if you had someone who might have been struggling a bit to, to get things going, but at least has decent stats like a, like a Matt Ryan or a Matt Schaub, that team would have won the Super Bowl. Or at least could have got to the Super Bowl to play the Saints, try and get a rematch of that Week 4 loss the Jets had against the Saints. Oh, by the way, Josh Freeman, pass rating 80.77, yards per attempt 6.93, completion percentage 58.97. He supposedly has been the poster child for inconsistency because of his up and down years. And this year he's up near the top in yards per attempt, but near the bottom among starters in completion percentage. Matthew Stafford's right up with him. And I don't think Matthew Stafford should be getting many passes. If somehow Jim Schwartz gets fired, the new head coach must put Matthew Stafford under notice. What Matthew Stafford should be like is more like Matt Ryan, who, given his career marks relative to the NFL marks since 2008, his passer rating relative is eight, uh, plus 8.08, .08. his relative yards per attempt plus 0.58, and his relative completion percentage plus 1.74. As for Joe Flacco, his relative pass rating plus 3.79, his relative yards per attempt plus 0.45, and his relative completion percentage minus 0.32. So Joe Flacco probably a, maybe a notch above average since joining the Ravens. And Matt Ryan, well, he's a notch or two at least, probably close to like two or three notches ahead of the average mark since he joined the league in 2008. That's arguably where Matthew Stafford should be at if he's to be considered a franchise quarterback, not average. So, ladies and gentlemen, a quarterback who should be under the hot seat in 2013 is the number one overall pick in the 2009 draft and the quarterback of the Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford because, let's face it, right now all that Lions team has is Calvin Johnson. And as we go to our sixth and final statement headline here for the six-pack, still involving Calvin Johnson, and it involves, well, a few holiday wishes, whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Festivus, whatever. We all deserve some sort of gift. I'm asking for six on this week, 16. And first things first is overtime in Detroit for Saturday Night Football. Well, let's look at it. Calvin Johnson, 181 yards behind Jerry Rice. He's at 1667. The record was set by Jerry Rice in 1995, 1848. Why not have this on a Saturday night? This is primetime football. No one else might be doing much on a Saturday night. Maybe watching college basketball, maybe watching college football, but they should be watching 
Calvin Johnson perhaps getting history. And now I'm not just saying this because it's the championship week in my fantasy league and I have Calvin Johnson in a PPR league. It would be nice for him to do that. But I'm saying it because let's see some history because it's week 16 and there might not be many other interesting games this week. By the way, just to, to close up on the Calvin Johnson notes here, in his 30 games in the last two seasons, he's had 3,348 yards. That already is better than any consecutive year mark for Jerry Rice. That's right, Jerry Rice, his best mark in back-to-back seasons was 3347 between 1994 and 1995. So Calvin Johnson at least has that one up on the greatest modern-day wide receiver in NFL history. So let's see more of what Calvin Johnson can do. My second gift that I'm asking here for, for Christmas uh, or Hanukkah, whatever, whatever we celebrate. How about a blowout in Big D? And you know what? Let's, let's not even specify who we want the blowout to be for. We can just look at it like this here. The Dallas Cowboys. If you're going to contend for the NFC East crown, can you at least get a win that shows it? You've been outscored this season by 11 points. In fact, it's the second worst point differential for a quality team, the only team worse, the Indianapolis Colts, who are well under the break-even mark right now at 9-5. and five. The Cowboys wins this season. 7-6-5 with a fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive. 15 with a game-winning punt return touchdown. 3 in overtime with a fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive. 5 with a fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive. One with a fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive. And then again, three in overtime with a fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive. The average victory for the Cowboys in those eight games, 5.625. Can you finally get some sort of blowout victory? And yes, on the flip side, if you're a Cowboy hater, you would obviously enjoy a blowout loss for the Cowboys. So let's get some sort of blowout game in Big D for Week 16. The third gift I'm asking for is an early Minnesota lead. Now look, I don't care who wins between the Vikings and Texans. The only reason I say this is because if Houston gets a big lead early and gets separation, that will be the worst thing for Adrian Peterson's record hopes. Because let's face it, if you're Minnesota and you're down, say, 20-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter, you're still trying to make the playoffs. You're going to try and pass the ball. Right now, Adrian Peterson at... 1,812 yards with eight consecutive 100-yard games. If he keeps up that, he should get to 2,000. But let's give him at least 20 carries. He's had at least 15 carries in every game. Let's not not break this now. Let's give him at least to 20. And going by his season average, that would mean at least 125 yards. Remember, Eric Dickerson is 293 yards ahead of Adrian Peterson with two games left. So he needs to get at least 20 carries to get the ball rolling. Bottom line, let's get the game condition favorable so Adrian Peterson can just ram it. Ram it all day, ram it all night. Go just check out the link here on this page and see the classic ram it video by the Los Angeles Rams in the mid to late 80s. That, that's, my, that's my gift to you. Oh, it's so much fun. Anyway, the fourth gift I'm asking for is a full game for Greg McElroy. Look, it's not Tim Tebow's fault. 
the circus that's going on. Okay, the whole thing surrounding his Christianity and this and that and the, the, the question if he's a legitimate quarterback or not. Let's throw that all aside here. Bottom line is that the Jets have decided to go from Mark Sanchez to Greg McElroy. The last thing you want to do in the final two games of the season is waffle between McElroy and Tebow because perhaps Greg McElroy can at least make an argument that he should be in the discussion to be a starter next season. Let's see what this guy's made of and let's not waffle. If there's anything I hate about the way teams manage quarterbacks, it's the way they waffle with quarterbacks. Look, it's bad enough when you're the Minnesota Vikings and you draft Tavares Jackson, but it's worse when you decide to waffle him year in and year out with guys like Gus Farratt and Brett Favre, who's going to choke away a playoff game. So stick with the guy. Try him. The Jets, to their credit, tried Mark Sanchez for nearly four entire seasons, and it's been proven now through 62 games that he doesn't have what it takes to be a quarterback, 62 regular season games, that is. He's had some playoff games, so there's more than 62. But bottom line, Mark Sanchez, he's proven he doesn't have it. There's a legitimate sample size for that, and he's had the franchise under his belt the entire time. He can't get it done. Try the same with Greg McElroy here for the last two games and see what can happen. Gift number five I'm asking for is a close finish in some AFC North game. Look. You have Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. Those two teams are fighting for the sixth seed right now. You have Cleveland at Denver. Denver is fighting for the two seed. And Cleveland trying to play spoiler. They've gone 5-5 five and five this season against AFC teams. And then the Giants at the Ravens. The 415 or 425 game. You have two collapsing teams. The Ravens are in the playoffs. But they're trying to win the AFC North and get the four seed. And the Giants are trying to somehow stay in the playoff hunt. If they win their last two games, they're in. So I want some game to be close of those three. At least one, please, because then at least there's some legitimate drama going on in those races. And finally, the sixth and final gift, gift I'm asking for. Okay, I'm actually going to pick favorites here. The Seattle Seahawks. I'm asking, please, can the Seahawks win? Because first off, the Seahawks are third in the quality stats, power rankings, they need to be in the playoffs. It will make the NFC playoffs more interesting. Look, even for all the people out there who are playoff history buffs and can't stand that the last two times the Redskins have made the playoffs, they've played the Seahawks and they want to forget those boring games. I will take Seahawks at Redskins if it has to mean the Seahawks are in the playoffs because at least that game will have Russell Wilson against RG3 and at least the Seahawks can be a top-tier elite team with a rookie quarterback trying to get their rookie quarterback to become the first to start in the Super Bowl. And again, I mentioned it earlier here in the podcast, Russell Wilson may become the first rookie quarterback to have six quality victories. I want to see that happen. I want to see that history. Let's see it happen. The ultimate monkey wrench could be the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC playoffs. I need to see them win this game so they can get ready to secure that playoff bid. So those are my six gifts, and that is my six-pack of headlines. Moving forward here to a six-pack of Week 15 regression, and we'll go down the list pretty quickly here because we had a lot of time spent on the six-pack of headlines and statements. Let's start things off 
with the Oakland Raiders, their defensive pass rating and their points allowed average getting a bit better against the Kansas City Chiefs. And you know the Chiefs are horrible if you get shut out by the Raiders of all teams. A 15-0 shutout victory for the Raiders. A defensive pass rating of 49.74. They drop from... They stay at 31st, but they drop from 100.33 to 97.21. That's good because while it's really an elite group of really bad pass defenses that have allowed a 100 pass rating or better, and we might actually, if things hold this season, not have a team that's allowed at least a 100 pass rating, which is good because that's at least a sign that defense respects itself. We've been having seasons recently where multiple teams are allowing a hundred or worse passer rating, and you include the Minnesota Vikings last year, which had the second worst defensive pass rating in NFL history. So let's not see that. But bottom line with the shutout victory, the Raiders go from allowing more than 30 points per game, 30.9, down to 28.7. Some nice regression there. Meanwhile, you have the New Orleans Saints, and well, how about this for regression? The Saints, after allowing 52 to the Giants in Week 14, shut out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 41-0 and allow a 37.46 defensive pass rating. On the flip side, the Giants were shut out against the Falcons 34-0, so that too was some regression there. It's interesting to see a 52-burger and the two teams involved go with zero the next week. The Seahawks, not so much. They go down from 58 to 50. But anywho, let's get back to the, the Saints at hand here. And They had a defensive pass rating through week 14 of 99.12. That drops down to 93.35. And their points per game average go down from 29.2 to 27.1. Number three for the six-pack regression, the Patriots' turnover streak. How about this? They, allow, they have four turnovers in a 41-34 loss to the San Francisco 49ers. They had four turnovers in the previous seven games. In fact, they had two turnovers or fewer in their first 13 games. So there was some regression there, especially for the Patriots' turnover margin. It was plus 24 through 13 games in game number 14, minus 2. Number four, how about the scoreability for the Arizona Cardinals? Just 196 offensive yards, but a 38-10 victory. This is the first time the Cardinals scored at least 20 points since week four. Not so much of coincidence. It's their first win since week four as well. Arizona going from 30th in scoreability at 18.83 through week 14 to 22nd which is better now, 16.51. Big reason was that Arizona had two interceptions returned for a touchdown in the first 13 games. The Cardinals had only one defensive touchdown. That was on a fumble return. So Arizona having some regression there. Number five for a six-pack of regression, the Tampa Bay run defense. They allowed... 149 yards on 25 carries in that loss to the Saints. Entering week 15, they were allowing 3.29 rushing yards per attempt. That goes up to 3.49. And they were ahead in terms of that rushing yards per attempt allowed. They were 0.3 yards ahead 
of the Denver Broncos, the next best team through 14 weeks. Now they're only .7 ahead of the Denver Broncos. So that's interesting to see there because Tampa Bay's run defense has been quietly amazing. A big reason why we don't know is because their defensive hogs are overall average. They've been held by a great run defense, but when they don't get pressure, which isn't very often, their pass defense is horrible, and they don't stop teams on third down. Finally, for the six-pack of regression, we get back to where we began for our six-pack of headlines, and that's Tony Romo. His recent play and his December play all getting some regression. His career offensive pass rating is at 95.71. This season, 90.18. I hate when I hear people saying that Tony Romo is having his best season. No, he's having his best half season. In his last seven games, his pass rating is 101.44, 13 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. In his first seven games, he had 9 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and a pass rating of 78.84. That, my friends, was the outlier to his overall career numbers, and it was the outlier that more or less I predicted when I said the Cowboys would regress this year in their offensive pass rating after last year having an offensive pass rating of 100 or better. No team in NFL history has an offensive pass rating of 100 or better and improved the next season. The Cowboys are fitting right in line with that. But Tony Romo getting some December passing regression here. In his three December games this season, I already mentioned it, a pass rating of 107.44. Before that, his first... 25 games. He was 10 and 15 in December. His pass rating was 86.02. With these three games in mind, it's up now to 88.95, getting a little bit closer to his overall career offensive pass rating. And that's the thing the, the Mathletics rules will tell you when the sample sizes get higher, it is more likely to regress to that mean. And looking at his mean offensive pass rating, bottom line, I think as more December games happen for Tony Romo, it's going to get closer to that pass rating. Even if it doesn't get close to it, it's going to get closer. Who knows? Maybe Tony Romo has a fourth, fourth quarter comeback in him this Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. Moving on now to our six-pack of top teams through week 15. First things first, my top team is actually still the New England Patriots at 10-4. and four. Now, I understand if you were to look at the quality stats, power rankings, they're not really close right now to the top spot. In fact, if you were to look at the quality stats, power rankings, the Patriots are on first place like seventh. But I do want to throw this in. The three teams the Patriots have defeated that are quality opponents, the Denver Broncos, who are number one, the Houston Texans, who are number four, and then the Indianapolis Colts, not so much. They did lose to the second-ranked team, the San Francisco 49ers, and the third-ranked team, the Seattle Seahawks. But bottom line, the Patriots did defeat the top two teams in the AFC right now, and they're still number one in the Relativity Index by a pretty comfortable margin, 14.67. So... I, I do want to keep that in mind right now for the Patriots. It's a big reason, a big thing I, I like to, at least here in the regular season when I rank teams based on their performances, it's a big thing I like to look at, the relativity index. And Tom Brady is still getting it done. The Patriots are right near the top in all the passing 
metrics. You look at it, real passing yards per attempt, fifth. Real quarterback rating, third. Offensive pass rating, fifth. So I still keep them right up there near the top. Meanwhile, number two on my six-pack of top teams, the Houston Texans, right where they were at last week, 12-2, and two, and they're still comfortable fourth in the quality stats power rankings, and they're still pretty comfortably at or near the top right now in all those quality indicators. Let's look at really the balance of this Houston team, and they're, they're a reason why I still consider them a top Super Bowl contender despite their two blowout losses, something which I went into detail uh, last week with the Texans and questioning whether their Super Bowl hopes went up in flames. I still like them because you look at it, they're ranked 11th or better in all the key quality stats, quality standings, scoreability, bendability, real passing yards per attempt, defensive real passing yards per attempt, real quarterback rating, defensive real quarterback rating, offensive and defensive pass rating, differential, Offensive and defensive hog index and the relativity index all in the top 11. So in all those key quality stats indicators, they're playoff worthy. That's why they're number two on my list. As for the number three team, I look at the Denver Broncos at 11-3 and and winners of nine in a row. They're the top team in the defensive hog index and pretty much all the way around the board. They're getting the job done with their front seven. Then obviously Peyton Manning has Denver right up there in terms of uh, the, the, the passing quality marks. And that's a big reason why Denver is still number one in the quality stats power rankings. They're number three on my list. Number four on my list, you have to look at the San Francisco 49ers. They're number two in the quality stats power rankings, 10-3-1 overall. And again, they're a team that can get the ball job, get the job done through the air on offense, can get the job done with the defensive hog index. They're third in the defensive hog index. Really, outside of the offensive hog index being ranked 20th, you can look at the rest, and they are top 10 all around. In fact, if you're to look at it, there's all but four quality stats indicators where they're in the top four. They're in the top four in the relativity index, defensive hog index, pass rating differential, offensive and defensive passer rating, real quarterback rating, defensive real passing yards per attempt, and bendability as well as the quality standings all around. Just a great team in the San Francisco 49ers. Number five on my list has to be now the Atlanta Falcons, a team that I've for a while left out of my top six because I, I just think right now that that team uh, is overrated relative to its record. But last week, that dominant 34-0 victory against the San Francisco Giants has to say something about this team. And it does boost their quality stats. Uh, and they did move up a spot to number six in the quality stats power ranking. So I give them credit for that. They're number five on my list. And then number six, the Green Bay Packers at 10-4, and four, right up there in the quality stats power rankings as well. Just fresh off a big defeat in Chicago, proving that they own the Chicago Bears under Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler's not had a good game in his career against the Packers as a Chicago Bear. The Packers fifth in the quality stats power rankings. They're sixth in my top six here of my power rankings. And I do want to mention that number seven is the Seattle Seahawks. So if they defeat the San Francisco 49ers Sunday night, they will make it into my top six, but that is my six pack of top teams.
And finally, we look to a six-pack of top matchups for Week 16. Let's break it down first off with number six being the Chicago Bears at the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason why I'm looking at this, I'm looking in particular at the opposing defenses. And just let's break it down here by the quality stats in terms of defensive real passing yards per attempt. Bears fourth, Cardinals tenth. Defensive real quarterback rating, Bears third. Cardinals first. Defensive pass rating. Bears second. Cardinals first. Defensive hog index. Bears fifth. Cardinals fourth. This, my friends, is just going to be a slug it out, dangerous game that if either team gets over 20, it's because of playmaking on defense. It's not going to be because Jay Cutler's having a passer rating of the hundreds. I mean, maybe it happens, but I don't see it. I see big plays on defense. And, oh, yeah, the Bears, by the way, still in the playoff hunt. Got to keep that factor in as well. It's number six of my top matchups. Number five, the Minnesota Vikings at the Houston Texans. Obviously, Adrian Peterson trying to run to history. Well, he goes up against the second-ranked defensive hogs and a team that is 12th in terms of rushing yards per attempt allowed at 4.14. This, my friends, should be interesting. And obviously with it being in Houston and the Texans not having a real dominant victory since the Week 7 game against Baltimore, the Texans are looking to really set themselves up good. And Oh yeah, by the way, if they win, they seal home field advantage for the AFC playoffs. So there's obviously that as well. And the Vikings are fighting for the playoffs. Christian Ponder really doesn't have a good matchup. So that Vikings passing game against that Houston pass defense, the Houston pass defense, eighth in defensive pass rating. The Vikings are 23rd in offensive pass rating. And more particularly, if you look at pass rating differential, the Vikings are 26th. The Texans are 7th. I don't really like that. But regardless, given the impact of this game, it's number five on my list. Number four, matchup that should have been a lot higher, but because of the past few weeks, it's not. The New York Giants at the Baltimore Ravens. It was oh so close that that could have been your Super Bowl matchup last year. It wasn't, though. And you look at it now, this Week 16 matchup is also losing its luster. You still have Eli Manning against Joe Flacco, but those two quarterbacks are struggling. Eli Manning and the Giants are 18th in offensive pass rating. Joe Flacco and the Ravens are 14th in offensive passer rating. I don't know what to expect from the Giants as of late. They go from blowing out the Packers by 28 to then losing the following Monday night in Washington and struggling to score. They lose 17-16 and their offensive game plan was quite horribly conservative. Then the following week, they blow out the Saints 52-27 and then lose last week 34-0. So I don't know what to expect from the Giants. If it's going by some sort of pattern, that means, well, Ravens look out. By the way, the Ravens went from having the best home winning streak in the NFL to now in this game possibly losing their third home game in a row. It, it's unbelievable to see that this game has come to this because just what? A month ago, this looked like this could be one of the marquee matchups and two teams potentially fighting for maybe a first-round playoff bye. Instead, it's two teams that might be lucky to be the fourth seed in the respective conferences. 
Number three in my six-pack of matchups, the New Orleans Saints against the Dallas Cowboys, and more specifically, the passing matchup between these two teams, Drew Brees against Tony Romo. The Saints rank 8th in offensive pass rating. The Cowboys are 10th in offensive pass rating. Meanwhile, the two passing defenses on the other side, not so good. The Saints are 26th in defensive pass rating. The Cowboys are 27th. So this has a potential for all the fireworks with the Cowboys trying to stay in the NFC East hunt. They have yet to have a blowout victory. As mentioned already, they've had some clutch play from Tony Romo as of late, as mentioned. But they still have that looming inefficiency around them. They're 20th in scoreability and 25th in bendability. So I, I don't know what to think about this team right now. I feel like this is almost a trap game for the Cowboys. It's the type of game they typically lose in the Jason Garrett era. And Well, if it happens, could it be somehow that this win over the Cowboys means a future win for the Cowboys and the fact that the Cowboys lose this game, this might inch Sean Payton closer to Dallas. Oh, the irony that would be if the New Orleans Saints knock the Cowboys out of the playoff picture and then lose Sean Payton to the Cowboys. Keep that in mind, but it's number three on my six-pack of matchups. Number two, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this, my friends, isn't just an important matchup because two teams on the edge of the playoff hunt right now but you look at it, they're two of three AFC North teams tied at 10th in the quality stats power rankings. And these two teams are within four spots of each other in eight different quality stats. That's right, eight different quality stats within four. You look at it, real passing yards per attempt, defensive real passing yards per attempt, real quarterback rating, defensive real quarterback rating, Offensive pass rating, defensive pass rating, passer rating differential. And then finally look at the defensive hog index. All within four spots. This is a very interesting matchup. I think the, the biggest difference in favor of the Bengals, their scoring efficiency. They're sixth in scoreability. The Steelers are 19th. The Bengals are 17th in bendability. The Steelers are 27th. The big reason for that is turnover differential. The Steelers this season, minus 14 turnover differential. They're not playing very smart. However, the equalizer for the Steelers is really Cincinnati's terrible track record in big games. Let's go back two weeks ago when the Bengals lost to the Dallas Cowboys in Cincinnati where they had dropped passes. They had dropped passes on offense and defense. Marvin Lewis blowing three timeouts before the Cowboys' final drive where they could sit on it and allow Dan Bailey to get the game-winning field goal. And even last week, if it wasn't for the Eagles having four fumbles, how would have that game turned out? Remember, the Eagles had a lead of 13-10 until that late third-quarter boost for the Bengals led on by those fumbles where the Eagles had three consecutive drives with turnovers. So... I don't know what to think about the, the, the Cincinnati Bengals. On paper, they look like they should win, but I feel like there's that equalizing factor with the Pittsburgh Steelers having just a better track record in big games. And, oh, by the way, they are 4-3 and three against quality teams, and the Bengals are 2-3. and three. So that, my friends, number two. Obviously, though, number one in my six-pack of top matchups 
for week 16. It has to be San Francisco at Seattle. I've already detailed the Russell Wilson factor, but let's just face it. Number two at number three in the quality stats power rankings, the Seahawks, five and one against quality teams. The 49ers are four and two. You have the Seahawks, number one in bendability, their staunch defense. The 49ers are number three. Remember, the week seven matchup was 13 to six. Well, since then, Russell Wilson has become one of the best road quarterbacks and still doing a darn efficient job at home. He's one of the most efficient passers since that mark. And then you have the Colin Kaepernick factor for the San Francisco 49ers. This, my friends, is just not only a staunch defensive matchup, but it's one of those games that could have the dynamic factor. Last week, Russell Wilson rushing for three touchdowns in the first half. It's the first time since Dante Culpepper in 2000 where a quarterback had three rushing touchdowns in one half. But just look at Russell Wilson's games since week seven and that loss in San Francisco, his passer ratings since then. Against Detroit, 96.8. Against Minnesota, 127.3. Against the New York Jets, 131.0. Against Miami, 125.9. Against Chicago, 104.9. Against Arizona, 88 against Buffalo, 104.4. He's had only two interceptions in those seven games since. And in his first five games after San Francisco, he had multiple touchdown passes. In those seven games in total, he's had 15 touchdown passes, or sorry, 13 touchdown passes compared to two interceptions. 13 he had CS16 rush, uh, touchdowns total, and you include the three rushing touchdowns, compared to two interceptions. That is amazing what Russell Wilson is doing as of late. And he's still going up against Colin Kaepernick, who has over 100 passer rating. And the 49ers still have the fourth-best offensive passer rating at 102.94. It doesn't matter whether it's Alex Smith or Colin Kaepernick. That offense is very efficient through the air. This is... Definitely going to be an interesting matchup Sunday night, and I'm looking very much forward to it. Boy, if you're a fan of football, you got to love that matchup. And the winner of that game might be the ultimate monkey wrench in the NFC playoff picture because no rookie quarterback has ever made it to a Super Bowl as a starter. You look at Colin Kaepernick, no quarterback really since... The, the Doug William days, or if you want to go back to 2000, if you want to include that, the switch to Trent Dilfer, no quarterback has come in off the bench for playing reasons and then won the Super Bowl after coming in midseason. So this is, this is really not the most favorable conditions for these teams based on their quarterback situation, but how those quarterbacks are playing and how those teams are built around the quarterback those two teams just make the NFC playoff picture so interesting. So this game, oh boy, it's going to be awesome. Well, that just about does it for this edition of the Stat Pack. Your host, Adam Dubrovsky, signing out for now. Everyone enjoy your Week 16 and have a happy holidays.